Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> you got your earbuds? Yeah, I got them in, so should be good to go. So yeah. I got to ask you, because the podcast is called Behind the Wheel, are you always behind the wheel? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So living in Baltimore, in the inner city, I was present when the Freddie Gray riots occurred. Baltimore was actually the first city in America to come up with a essentially legal way to ban African-Americans' property ownership within white residential areas. Snack Nation is a two-sided marketplace where we introduce artisanal and emerging uh, brands, mainly snack brands, to consumers at key moments where they're most engaged. Hi, I'm Derek, and this is Behind the Wheel, a show dedicated to highlighting the accomplishments of ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things within their communities. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today's episode is brought to you by the folks at the Creative Running Collection, an eclectic ensemble of artists from all walks of life and disciplines. I mean, we're talking established to wannabe writers, actors, directors, artists, bloggers, vloggers, videographers, podcasters, journalists, producers, and editors who are passionate about creating content for running and entertainment purposes. Still, but more importantly, they inspire people to pursue a healthy lifestyle by helping them identify their purpose, maximize their potential accelerate their growth and continuing the cycle. In other words, they help people IMAC their life. So, if you've got some hidden talent and you're looking for a safe place to express, own, and display your talent, shoot them an email at the Behind the Wheel Morning Show at gmail.com. If you're an entrepreneur or small business owner or know of an entrepreneur or small business owner looking to advertise in the Behind the Wheel podcast but weren't certain as to whether or not there was a possibility, we have eliminated all the guesswork. It certainly is a reality. Who's this we you're talking about? You know it's just you. I'm not going to go with we. We now have... We going with we? I think we're going to go with we. Let's try. We now have the ability for you to sponsor an episode. How cool is that? Your ad can run pre, mid, or post roll. Simply visit coffee.com forward slash BTW podcast. The details will be in the show notes. That's ko com forward slash BTW podcast. And one of the cool things about coffee.com is it allows supporters of the show to buy me a cup of coffee. You all know I like coffee. That's why I'm all hyped up on this coffee. Let's get started. All right, let's Good get started. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today we are treated with a guest. I've been knowing this young lady for quite some time, never actually met her in person. I've been meeting virtually online. I, I knew she was a triathlete, but I did not know she was in theater and pedagogy. I followed her journey for some time. I remember she got her doctorate. I was like, wow, celebration. I felt like I should, I celebrated also. And then she moved to the West Coast. Give it up for Daphne. Don't let me butcher your last name. (laughs) CK! All right. How are you doing today, lady? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, Tired, exhausted, but doing really, really well today energized and just uh you know ready to get you know just 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 happy i'm happy today i'm happy today good you you, you always seem like you're in, in, in good spirits online um, i try i try i try <laughs> so for those folks who don't know you how did you get started on this road to running and we kind of kept this 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 education package separate it's like yo wait a second 
she teaches anti-racism and she's, wait a second, let's, before I get too far along, go ahead, tell, lead us. Um, so it's kind of fun. Like I was a track runner in, um, in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I actually was the only girl in my track team. Like there were no girls. And so when I came um, to my high school here in the States, I, I wanted to run and there were no girls on the track team. And I was like, I still want to run. And so the coach was like, wow. okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, she's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, and, and then the funny thing was my first year in the track team, I was a sophomore and they didn't know what to do with me. So I ran and participated in every single event I did except long jump. Cause I could not, I could, we tried. It just wasn't not the long, the one that you jump over. can't remember which one that's not the long jump. It's the the high jump. High jump. There we go. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. Plus, I'm like 5'3". So it's like 5'4". So it just wasn't happening. 5'3", mm-hmm. then, and I grew to 5'4". But mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, that wasn't happening. So... A whole inch. My, yeah. <laughs> I did. I grew an inch in my 20s. I swear. You could have <laughs> did that with heels. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it, I'm very proud that I don't know how it happened, but it did. a late growth spurt. And uh, it was so funny because, like, my coaches didn't know what to do with me. And so they literally put... I mean, every event, like every race, I was doing different events, every race, because they didn't know what to do with me. What, you know, it was fun. It was actually a lot of fun. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember I ran the 800 and after running the 800, um, I hadn't disclosed I have a heart murmur. And so I run the 800 and I was like, <laughs> did they, did they, I guess back then, they, and it, hadn't, it couldn't have been that long ago. They didn't put you through a physical or anything? They did, but, um, they, but it wasn't like, it was weird. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't like, and I never, I never liked disclosing that because people, uh, because I was told when I was younger, I couldn't, I couldn't do sports because of it. And I was like, no, that's shit. <laughs> you know, I was just like, no, I'm going to do sports anyway. But how did you become so stubborn? I mean, persistent. Um, I think it's my grandmother. Determined. <laughs> yeah, <I> was, <laughs> it was my grandmother. So I'll get to that one in a moment. So literally I finished the 800 and all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> I can't even breathe, right? And uh, my coaches are like, oh my God, what's wrong? And then I'm like, <laughs> and then eventually like I was able to sort of control it. Um, I had pushed that heart murmur too much for that mm. distance. And so then I was like, I have a heart murmur. They were like, what? <laughs> they were like, Daphne. <laughs> you think you want to tell us this? <laughs> I was like, no, because I want to do this. They were like, well, you're not doing the 800, that's for sure. And so, it was fun. But one of the reasons I wanted to do track was because my grandmother was a marathon runner. So she started running when she was in her, I think she was 68 or 69 when she started running. Yeah. 68 wow. Years old. And so she signed up for the New York City Marathon mm-hmm. and she ran it at like 68 years old, never having run a marathon in her life. And she ran the New York City Marathon. I think she ran it 10 or 11 times. I have hmm. her pictures. And this is when the marathon was inside Central Park. So it wasn't even the five boroughs yet. So mm-hmm. I remember as a little girl um, coming to visit my grandmother. And uh, in the morning, she'd be like, I have to go run. And I'd be sleeping. And she would mm-hmm. go and run and train and then come back. I'd still be sleeping. So she would leave me at home at eight years old sleeping because <laughs> she had to go run. <laughs> you had to call Child Protective <laughs> Services retroactively. Right? Like. So my dad, she lived here in the States. Mm-hmm. So my father always wanted me to spend like a summer, you know, like a month with her in the summer. And uh, Where'd you live? Where, where, where'd you grow up? She is... Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Spain. 
Okay. And so I was born in Ecuador. I was raised in Spain. I used to spend time in Peru with my parents from my mom's side. And then my grandmother lived in the States. <clears throat> she married a Spaniard. Although she's French-Canadian and grew up in the States, she married a Spaniard. And so her kids, hence my dad, is Spanish. But she was not Spanish. And so she moved mm-hmm. to New York um, to pursue. She left my grandfather, moved to New York to pursue uh, social work. And um, she was working with the civil rights movement. She was um, doing social work at Columbia. Um, she became like really close friends with like Gordon Parks and some of the Black Panthers and doing a lot of like social work during that time. Um, she was an activist. Yeah. You can say social work. <laughs> yeah, it is social work. She was a social worker and an activist as well. So she was doing both those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I was young, my dad really wanted me to have her influence in my life, you know, and she's why I'm the way I am because it's all her fault. <laughs> it's all her fault. That's a so, good thing. Uh, yes, absolutely. The best thing that ever happened to me was eventually down the road, moving to the States to live with her. Mm-hmm. My mother was not a good person. Um, and my dad really wanted me to have a female influence that was really strong mm-hmm. and powerful and determined and positive. And that was my grandmother. So he had started that when I was younger. So I had seen her, you know, when I would come in the summer, she, I would come downstairs in the garage and she had this wall with all these plaques of races she had done and all these medals. And I was like, and of course the concept of a marathon when you're like seven, eight years old, like you don't get it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just remember that. And then when I came to live with her in the States, I was 15 and I always said to her, I was like, we're going to run a marathon together. We're going to run the marathon together. But I don't even know how to run a marathon. So let me run track first mm-hmm. <laughs> and discover what I can run. And um, so I ended up doing that. Uh, years later, I still hadn't run more than a, a 5K. Uh, and so I was, but I remember when I was in college, um, I dated this guy who was a triathlete. And uh, he was an Ironman. And mm. he introduced me to the sport. And I was like, I want to do an Ironman. I was, I think it was, I was 20. I was like, I want to do an Ironman. And he was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do an Ironman. I was like, well, first I'm going to do a triathlon. I'm going to do a triathlon before I'm 30. And he was like, all right. And I was like, and then eventually I'll do an Ironman. Mind you, I've never even run a marathon in my life. You know, I'm 20 years old. <laughs> my grandmother's still running Did the he marathon. ask you if you ever done a marathon or anything? Or no. did you, were you riding a bike? Could you swim at least? I could swim. I was a swimmer in high school as well. So okay. I knew I could swim. I knew I could bike. But let me tell you, I didn't realize I didn't know how to bike until I really actually started cycling for a a triathlon. So then I turned 29. By this time, still haven't run a marathon. I'm 29 and I was like, I made a promise that I was going to do a triathlon before I turned 30. I didn't even, I I hadn't even spoken to this guy in like, you know, 10 years. And I was like, I need to, uh, yeah, I need to keep that promise. So I found a local triathlon, totally by myself, ordered like five or six books on triathlons, read them, created my own training program, signed up for a sprint try, and and did my first try without having even run a 5K. So you can only imagine. <laughs> How's that for persistence? <laughs> yes. So that's my grandmother. It has to be her. Couch to triathlon. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I was like, you know, this, I was like, if I ever want to do that Ironman, I'm going to need to run a marathon. And if I, my grandma wants me to run a marathon with her, let me start with triathlons, which have 5Ks. 
But here's the beautiful thing about running, right? Mm-hmm. Once you do a 5K, you're like, and you've trained properly for it, of course. You're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I can do a 10K, you know? And then mm-hmm. You train for the 10K, which is what happened. The next year I did a triathlon that was an Olympic. So it went to a 10K for the running part. And so then after I trained for the, that one, I was like, not a big deal. Oh my God. You know, like oh, <laughs> I can do a half marathon. And so then you train for a half marathon. And mm-hmm. then I was like, you know what? That wasn't that hard either. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's insane when you think about it. And then you're like, I'm going to do a marathon. <laughs> and so then I was like, I can do it. But I think it takes that fear. I had so much fear running my first marathon. And I knew I could not complete an Ironman until I had run a marathon. I know people who have never done a marathon and do an Ironman. I think that's insane. That Mm -hmm. wasn't going to work for me. And so, unfortunately, I never got to run with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. She got cancer in her 80s and stopped running and um, still dreamed and wished of running a marathon. She actually told me she wanted to die running a marathon. She's like, I want to go run the New York Marathon with you and die on the course. I was like... (laughs) and uh it, it never happened she never was able to go back uh mm-hmm. to running she survived cancer but um and and she still woke up every morning and did um five k's or like three three to five miles every single day until mm-hmm. she got alzheimer's and then she 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 couldn't um she couldn't do that anymore wow and so where, where do you think the fear was yeah. of, of completing a marathon Ooh, um I have no idea that fear crippled me for years because I kept signing up for the New York city marathon and then declining or postponing. <laughs> I spent a lot of money on that. And mm-hmm. it I just fear like fear that I couldn't do it. Even though I knew like, okay, my grandmother did it in her 60s, 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. I should be able to do it. Right. I'm so much younger. I don't, it's a fear. It really is. And it's interesting how it took sort of these steps of like, completing a half marathon. But even after my first half marathon, it took me years before I actually did my first marathon. But I, it's, I don't know what it is. It, it, it really, fear, it is very powerful. Mm. Um, but I think seeing my grandmother fall ill um, with Alzheimer's made me realize um, I need to start running so that she can't run anymore. Mm-hmm. Let me run for her. So that then now she can be the one seeing my medals. And she can be the one looking at these things. And let me tell you, she followed me. My first marathon was New York City, uh, mm-hmm. 2013. And she still, her Alzheimer's hadn't kicked in full, fully yet. So she followed and tracked me and, and posted about me and, and was so excited. And um, I actually called her in the middle of my race as I was running. I was like, I, I'm finished i called her at the finish line i was crying on the phone oh, I was like, I did. she was crying on the phone um it was really special mm. and then i gave her my medal she has my she wow. had my uh, first medal and she mm. she loved it she loved it that must be really something something else man i have a friend now who is um who, who's you know early stages of alzheimer's and so she jokes and it's hard to um it's not hard. If she's joking about it, I was going to call you, but I forgot. Or just these, yeah. you know, 
she's joking. I'm like, stop playing, Nancy. You know, just yeah, just the whole idea. Nancy's good people. So just wondering, you know, you hear out Alzheimer's and yeah, you, you just gotta make the best of it, I guess. So you have these hidden talents. <laughs> I did not know about these talents. I was so you keep them. <laughs> you've kept them under wraps. I mean, I had no idea that you, that you were you, you know you were in the theater and teaching. Know. <laughs> it's like what what why why the mystery? No. <laughs> well I think oh, um once I like I hit 30, I did my at 29, I did my first try. I was very mm-hmm. excited. And then at 31, I realized I was a high school teacher back then. Um I realized I wanted to change curriculum policy. Right. I realized I love teaching my students. I was living in Miami. Um, love, love, love my students. But I felt something was missing as an educator. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to go into uh, and I was teaching theater. I was also teaching history. I originally got a master's um, because, you know, when you start teaching there was New York City had no certifications for theater teachers. So I wanted to be a theater teacher when I graduated from college, but there was no certification. For it. it didn't exist. It exists now, but it didn't mm-hmm. back then. This is like late 90s. And um, I had to really sort of like, okay, what do I do? So then I got an additional major and I got a major in history. And so then I went to grad school for history, thinking I can teach history classes and start a drama club at a school. And so, but still... I have to go through this route of getting a history master's to teach in a school so I can do theater, you know, this craziness. Um, But that's how it is for artists. I realized in college, I did double majored originally in journalism theater. And then I added this history uh, triple major. And I was just like, I loved theater. I just, I loved it. I wanted to teach it. I didn't want to act. I discovered that early. And um, what do you mean you you discovered what that that it's, It just, um, there's so many sacrifices back then. It's so much better now, but back then there's all these sacrifices. Like I had, I often tell the story. I was a finalist for this TV show. Um, uh, I think, was it called something? I can't, I think it was Dark Angel, I think with, um, Jessica, I can't remember her last name, but, um, she's the one who ended up doing it. So I was one of the final people. They flew me out to California and at this time, I am. I had run track in college. I was doing um, uh, martial arts because the role requires someone who did martial arts and all this stuff. So I, they flew me black uh, to California. I weighed 120 pounds, but it was 120 pounds of just pure muscle. I was ripped. I had a six pack, just pure, like lean, mean machine. Um, and they were like, we really like you. I'm not one of the top five, not top three, top five, but, um, you need to lose 10 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds the next month. So we want to bring you back, mm-hmm. but we need you to lose 10 to 15 pounds because it just, it's just not working. And that moment in my life, I was like, I was a senior in college and I was just like, do I want to pursue a career that's going to force me to live a certain way? Like where I'm always going to have to like measure what my body looks like and like, not be able to eat a donut because I want to eat a donut. Like, like that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And then like this ask of losing 10 to 15 pounds in a month. And I'm like, there was no way for me to, it was 
I don't know. I would have had to starve myself and like drink water for every day. And I, I don't I don't think I would have been able to function um, because my body was such high maintenance of like sport for so many years. And it's just, I was like, I cannot, I can't do this. Um, and so that became that sort of like pivotal move in that I don't want to act, but I love this field. And I had been assistant directing. I had been stage managing. And so I realized I was like, Oh, maybe I can direct. Maybe I can start my own drama program. Maybe I can teach kids all about theater and acting and how much joy it brings. And, mm-hmm. and you know, not forget about acting and all of that stuff. I still have done a role here and there. I was in a play last uh, November mm-hmm. that I helped devise about um, being undocumented. Um, documented, But the play was about um, working was about telling the stories of undocumented folk in the United States and what does it mean and what can allies do? And so we spent like 12 weeks devising it and I performed in it and it was fun. So every now and then I still act, but it's not what I prefer to do. And so I really zone my craft into directing. And then once I started teaching in the high school, I got to create a drama program and start really directing. Mm-hmm. And so you know, every now and then on Facebook, I would post, you know, I'm directing this here, I'm directing that there. But I think because graduate school takes so much out of you, um, I sort of kept it separate from from my social life in that sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably some years ago where I was like, okay, uh, let me create an Instagram that's all about my work in theater. So I can get hired to be a theater professor and people can see the work I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me become a little bit, I realized that if you want to pursue that field, people need to know who you are. Yeah. So plug it. Yeah. You got to start plugging it. No, plug it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, plug it for the show. This is not, we're not on YouTube. I'll, I'll put the link down in the description. You know. So I have an Instagram. It's called Dr. Secret Loves Theater. And in it, I just share like all the work that I do. And um, I share quotes from other people. I share work from other people. Um, my storyline always shares the work of Latinx, Black um, artists, Asian artists that are doing work. Because for me, it's really pivotal to center those voices in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And so that's important for me. Now, you, you, we... And if you say it's not okay, I can edit it out of, of this <laughs> okay. conversation. But you sent me a message. Um, oh, yes. About the Iron Man group um, that you were in. But, and, and what I found interesting in, in, about the message, or just there, was, there, there, there seemed to be some like compassion and just sort of like understanding it and, and, and a desire to know, like, what do you think? Like, how should I approach this? I'm not really sure. And I don't, I don't ask people like, where, who are you? Like, where are you from? That question always, always seems to, I always found like off-putting. So I'm asking, where are you from? Like, you try, what are you trying to determine? Like, so I don't know. So I'm like, okay, I don't know. And, and I still don't know. Cause I don't ask like, where are you from? You know, I don't, I'm not trying to determine. So, but I thought it was, hmm? No, no. Yes. I'm just, yes. And so not having you reach out, I was like, okay, this, this, this is a person on the quest. That's what it seemed like, but, but you're, you're, you're in the thick of it. You're teaching works. You're doing workshops in, in, on anti-racism and, and 
So one of the reasons I reached out is because you have this incredible podcast that showcases athletes of color. One of the things that I absolutely love about some of the things that you've been doing that I've been really impressed, you were curating these incredible videos. How was it? What, 2015, 16, 17? Mm -hmm. Like every week you were making these amazing videos and adding your songs to it and showcasing the diversity of runners across the country part of me is like how do you know these people it's amazing and it was so inspiring to me because mm-hmm. I started running with like for example New York Road Runners and doing their small races I would say in 2007 is when I started doing their races I didn't run my marathon in 2000 until 2013 but I literally spent you know six years before that and Running marathons and running is a very white sport and not as much anymore, right? It's Mm -hmm. a little bit better. And, but when I started, you know, you didn't have like black men run, like you didn't have uh, black girls run, like you didn't have these groups promoting health and fitness in the communities and opening spaces for people to run. And the triathlon, like Ironman's even worse. Like I've literally been to Ironman half Ironman competitions where I was the only Latina, like presenting Latina, because maybe there was a white Latina I didn't know of, right? Mm-hmm. And that, like, I remember being at this one uh, race. Now, where I, I was, I, I'm sorry, I shook my head up and down. Yeah. What exactly is a presenting Latina? Um, so for example, yeah, right? So you have, um, you can have Latinx folk who are white. Mm-hmm. They're, they're white. And so they pass because no one knows their heritage or their background and they might not disclose it, right? Whereas I'm mixed indigenous and white. So my dad is white from Spain and my mom is indigenous from Peru. So um, I have certain features that don't pass. So for example, when I'm in certain white spaces, it's very clear that I'm not fully white and white people don't treat me as if I am white. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to see. And so something about my physiology in certain spaces, even though I'm half white, doesn't, you know, it, it, I get, there's a different treatment to that, um, which is fascinating. But then if I walk into black spaces, I'm mm-hmm. white presenting. So if I'm in a black space, people think I'm white. And unless I say I'm half indigenous and half white, then it's like, oh, oh, okay. So again, like what someone thinks of you and Mm -hmm. what you look like in different people's eyes. And so by looking at a list of names, for example, at a competition, um, I might be able to determine if someone is Latinx or not, right? If their last name is Garcia or if the last name is Jimenez, maybe they're Latinx, but maybe they physically don't look whatever looking Mm -hmm. Latinx means, right? They pass for white. Such complexities, very complicated, um, very much so. So one of the reasons I had reached out to you is because I wanted to use your podcasts to put into um, some different groups. There was a women's uh, Women for Try group, which has now been dismantled, by the way, because of the racism in the group. So here's oh, wow. A, yeah, this is a group that was, it's a separate part of Ironman, but specifically designed to promote women in triathlons through Ironman. So it's part of the organization. And um, it clearly was revealed that even the moderators were racist themselves. So the moderators didn't want to talk about um, Black Lives Matter. They didn't want to talk about 
Aubrey. And it's like, well, it's not, and they're like, oh, this is too political. And I'm like, no, this was a, a man who was running and he got killed because he was running. And so we have athletes in this space that because of the, again, because of the way they look like, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the way that they present to other people can get killed when they're out running. So that, that's really scary. That's, yeah, that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. It is really scary. And for you to saying that we are being political about it, that is an issue. And so they were deleting any post that, uh, that talked about Black Lives Matter and not understanding the connection specifically for Black triathletes of what it means to train somewhere where, you know, like you could get shot. Yeah. What it means to walk into a race where there is not a single Black athlete in that. like. And then the comments, the comments like from people saying mm-hmm. the language, the the assumptions, the instead of thinking about like, I, I can't even even, it was awful. And so I had reached out to you because I was like, okay, I would love to showcase the interviews that you have done. They created two new groups and showcase those interviews mm-hmm. in the two new groups that are a lot more inclusive and have people who are willing to talk about these things. And um, also to let people know that there are black triathletes out there doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. And they're doing amazing things in spaces where someone might not have known about. And so sometimes for that one other black triathlete to know about this other athlete might inspire them, mm-hmm. might get them to follow them. Maybe they can meet at a race. Who knows? Maybe they live in the same space and they can train together. Like mm-hmm. when you get into a sport that's so white, it it's hard when you walk into these spaces. It really yeah. is. Yeah. It's and, it, really and, it, and it's so, it is an exp- it's not a, it's not a cheap sport. No, it's not. That's not, <laughs> you know, but you know, that was already occurring already when it came to marathons that was mm-hmm. occurring in marathons, except for the professional level where you have all of these athletes of color excelling, you know, you have like Chinese and Japanese athletes excelling, you have Mexican runners excelling, mm-hmm. you have Kenyans excelling, like you literally have like all these incredible athletes of color excelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you trickled down and you looked at who was running marathons in like early 2000s and I would love to have looked at the demographics then versus now, like 20 years later, like yeah. the difference of who's mm-hmm. running marathons now. Mm-mm. Wow, it has been a pleasure. I'm getting, I'm getting the, I'm getting the warning from the folks, not the warning from the alerts on the phone. I got a nine o'clock. There's someone, but you, my friend, it, yes, I absolutely love the energy, and and folks who are interested in potentially getting trained in the theater and finding out more about you, you want to plug that um, Instagram. <laughs> yes, Doctor Secret loves theater. <laughs> How do you spell it? S I because looking at the name, I thought it was. I thought you were Italian. I know. So the name is uh, from is Catalan. So Catalan is the area where, like, if you know any of the cities in Spain, like Barcelona is like one of the big cities in Spain. So Barcelona is inside sort of like this region called Catalonia, and mm-hmm. that region speaks its own language, has its own sort of culture. So like my grandfather comes from this little town on the border of France, Andorra and Spain. And so he grew up, his ancestors 
have this mixture of languages. And so our last name is sort of like Catalan, French, Spanish, all mixed together. And so it's secret. So like when people see my name, they don't know what I am either. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's a secret. <laughs> Who knows? It's, yeah, yeah and, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other, but I'm just like, so, because when people ask me, where are you from? Like, what do you mean, where am I from? Like, what are you trying to figure out? Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, Connecticut. No, I'm not even from, like, what are you trying to figure out? It's just like, what do you want? Like, what town do you live in? Like, it's, it's, it's a determination of something. And, yeah. And so when I ask them, like, so, why, why? What do you, they, they, there's this pause. Like, what did you say? Because I think you heard what I said. You just now need time for it to register. It's like, why did he ask? Why did he just go along with it? Most people just tell you where they're from. Like, you're trying to figure out, you're trying to determine you want to put me in a box. doesn't matter where I'm from. You plan on visiting? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't plan on visiting. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you so very much, Dad. Thank you, thank you I, so much. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon, lady. Have a wonderful evening. And you do the same now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.